Okay, the reading is from 2 Kings 6, 24 and 7 to 20. Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, Help me, my lord the king. The king replied, If the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor, from the wine press? Then he asked her, What's the matter? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give me your son so that we may eat him today, and tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day, I said to her, Give up your son so that we may eat him. But she had hidden him. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. As he went along the wall, the people looked, and there, underneath, he had sackcloth on his body. He said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Now Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. The king sent a messenger ahead, but before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Don't you see how this murderer is sending someone to cut off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him? While he was still talking to them, the messenger came down to him, and the king said, The disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a seer of flour will sell for a shekel, and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we will live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there, for the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots, and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. 
The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, We're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, We went into the Aramean camp, and not a man was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys. And the tents left just as they were. The gatekeeper shouted the news, and it was reported within the palace. The king got up in the night and said to his officers, I will tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we are starving, so they have left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they will surely come out, and then we will take them alive and get into the city. One of his officers answered, Make some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their plight will be like that of all the Israelites left there. Yes, they will only be like all the Israelites who are doomed. So let us send them to find out what happened. So they selected two chariots with their horses, and the king sent them after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers, Go and find out what has happened. They followed him as far as the Jordan, and they found the whole road strewn with the clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a seer of flour sold for a shekel, and two seers of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. Now the king had put the officer on whose arm he leaned in charge of the gate, and the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died, just as the man of God had foretold when the king came down to his house. It happened, as the man of God had said to the king, about this time tomorrow a seer of flour will sell for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? The man of God had replied, You will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. And that is exactly what happened to him, for the people trampled him at the gateway, and he died. Thank you, Matilda, for being there. Uh, We do need uh, God's help in understanding this. So let's pray as we come to it. Uh, Father God, we pray that you would uh, help me to to speak clearly, to understand what you say to us in this, uh, to understand uh, just the the depths of the wickedness of man, uh, but also the, the goodness and the grace of you. We pray that you would help us to apply these truths to our hearts, that we would be transformed by them. In Jesus' name, amen. This this past week after uh, returning from holiday and and celebrating my engagement to Vicky, um, it was good to see friends and family there. 
and we had a time of celebration. I met a lot of people who hadn't seen in a very long time. And one of those people was, uh, was someone who, uh, a family friend, and I wanted to, to phone him just to give thanks for a little card and a, and a voucher that he'd sent us. And so whilst I was chatting on the phone to him, I said to him, it, it was really great to, to see you, uh, to celebrate the time together. And he said, yeah, it was great, really enjoyed it. And he said, you know, he said, it's, with, with all that's going on in the world, it's really good to hear some good news. And I said, yes, I mean, so often, if you listen to the radio, the TV, anything online, it is basically the prophets of doom that we hear constantly. And he he agreed that it is really just a message of doom and despair so often. But I said, that's really why I do what I do. Uh, Because the gospel, the gospel is good news. It's a message of hope in a world which seems really quite hopeless and lost at times. And to which he replied, yes, we've all got to have faith in something, don't we? And I missed my cue. (laughs) I missed my cue to ask him, and where do you place your faith? Where do you place your trust in this time of real difficulty? and desperation for many people. Because in in light of what's being called uh, the the cost of living crisis, it is one crisis which is in line with a long list of other crises that we seem to hear constantly. Because it's a message that we hear of hopelessness, a message which is really quite despairing if you listen to to the news for any length of time. And we do have to ask, as my friend said, Well, we do have to have faith in something, don't we? Especially as things are challenging. Now, the biggest question to ask ourselves, well, where is it that we place our faith? Where do we place our trust when things are realistically very, very difficult? The psalmist says, don't place your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. Because ultimately... Governments, leaders, all those in places of authority and influence will in some way fail us because they are fallible people, just like you and I. And so we're not to to place our trust in princes and human beings and those in power, but instead, as we look to to this passage in 2 Kings 6 and 7, we are to trust in the Lord, to trust in God's word. And we're to do that as as we see this passage We're to trust in God's word as he judges those who reject it. He delivers those who trust it. And he works in amazing ways to spread it. And so firstly, as we look at the first part in chapter 6, he judges those who reject it. We pick up the story in 9th century BC in the northern kingdom of Israel. As you see there in verse 24, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, which is modern-day Syria today, has just raided Israel, and then he's on a journey to lay siege to the city of Samaria. And the picture that is painted is desperate. As a result of the sacking of Samaria, there's a famine in the land. The famine's so great that it says that there's a, a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels. Now, one month's wages would have been 
one shekel. So to buy a donkey's head would have been 80 months' wages. A meat which wasn't even kosher, a donkey's head which was definitely not desirable. And a quarter of a cab of seed pods, or it's described as dove's dung, which would be used to, to burn as fuel. Well, that was selling for five months' wages, just for fuel. The situation is bleak. Bleak because there's a famine in the land. And most commonly when we read the Old Testament especially, and we see a famine, it is a sign not of God's blessing, but of God's judgment. As the Lord says in Deuteronomy 28, which is quite a key chapter in understanding this passage, in Deuteronomy 28, he talks about the blessings of God's people as they obey the covenant of God and the curses of God's people as they break covenant with the Lord. God's people are called to walk in covenantal obedience to his word. And if they don't, well, they will experience God's judgment. And whilst for us today, there's, there is not a straight line in terms of obedience and blessing or disobedience and cursing. In a sense, if we reject God's word, then we can't possibly expect to experience anything of God's presence or peace in our lives at all. Maybe for people who are, who are not Christians, it is really only God's common grace that he allows, us, allows them to, to enjoy anything of his goodness to them. As really, as Jesus says, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. And therefore, those who reject God can still see something of God's goodness towards them. And yet, without God, as it says in, in Proverbs, people who do, people do what is right in their own eyes, but in the end, it leads to death. And this is basically what we see as the people forget God and have rejected his word. And therefore, just wickedness flourishes. As we see that in verse 26, where a helpless woman calls out to the king of Israel for help. And he says, if the Lord can't help you, then how can I help you? The suggestion is basically, there's, there's nothing here. I can't possibly help you. We are desperate. You're desperate, and so am I. But then she says to the king in verse 28 that... This woman said to me, give up your son so that we may eat him, and tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, give up your son so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. This is exactly what is laid out as one of the covenantal curses that the Lord says he'll place on his people if they break covenant with him. In Deuteronomy 28, um, in many verses, but in verse 53, the Lord says, Because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege, you will eat the fruit of the womb, the flesh of the sons and daughters the Lord God has given you. In other words, you will eat your own children as a result of the judgment that is upon you. Such is the wickedness of the people that they turn from God and he places his judgment upon them. They break their vows and as a result, they fall into extreme desperation and extreme immorality. Things which for us today would be 
inconceivable, just inconceivable to even think or ponder. Because the further people really run from the Lord, the more darkness, the more sin they fall into. And really for us, perhaps it is quite difficult to even imagine this level of evil. It's almost, it's almost comical because it's so extreme. But maybe for those who are working in, in frontline stuff, in the military, in the police, in the health service, in social work, elements of wickedness not quite like this but similar aren't too far to imagine. Because the human heart is truly wicked left to itself. That really conflicts with what people might say, that the common idea that, that people are good, that they're generally good, and the problem is somewhere out there. Therefore, if there's any evil in the world, well, it's probably God to blame and not us. Because how can we possibly do that? Because people would rather point the finger upwards than they would point the finger inwards. And yet, as we see in this passage, the king, you know, he seems to do the right thing on appearance. He tears his robes in grief and he has sackcloth underneath displaying a sign of repentance. And so in a sense, he seems, he appears to do the right thing. He is broken by this, this story of wickedness between these two women. As he, but then what we see is his grief then turns to anger, to cynicism, as he immediately calls for the head of Elisha. And at the end, in, in verse 33, he says, This disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Because when the, the king saw that things weren't changing, in light of all that he was doing, in light of this, the fact that he, was, he tore his robes, he had sackcloth underneath, he was doing the religious observance, he just did not want to wait for the Lord. He was overwhelmed with the situation. And so he became furiously anger, angry. Dale Ralph Davis, in his, in his book on Second uh, Kings, he says, often, often there's a fine line between cynicism and sackcloth. What he's saying is, if, if we are fasting, if we are praying, at times we perhaps do need to check our motives for that. And we should pursue these things, spiritual disciplines, but we do need to ask ourselves, where is my heart in this? Am I willing to submit to the Lord in this, or would I rather have something that must be done my way? It's hard to really imagine, it's hard to put yourself in in the shoes of the king here, because it is a desperate situation. But maybe for us, maybe in in the midst of a trial, we do have to be patient with the Lord, that we wouldn't take things into our own hands, but that we would wait on the Lord. Because the king, he takes things into his own hands. And then he calls for Elisha's head. Because even in the challenging times, we need to to trust God. To trust God at his word as he delivers those who trust it. As uh, from the the darkness, uh, as we see in the the darkness of the, the curses and the judgment of God, Elisha promises hope. As it says at the start of of chapter 7, Elisha replied, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. 
About this time tomorrow, a seah of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Elisha has good news. He promises deliverance, deliverance from the judgment of God. Now, this doesn't mean that that everything will be perfect. As to understand the weights of things, a seah of flour is about one month's wages. And so there, there aren't any bargains to be had, but at least there is some kind of relief. Some kind of relief that things are going to turn back to some kind of normality. That things will get better and that the Lord will deliver his people. However, the response of the officer is interesting. As it says, the officer on, whom, on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heavens, could this happen? And Elijah responds saying, You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha. But you will not eat any of it. The fact is that the Lord, he promises deliverance. But the only way to receive it is by faith. As it was in the New, as it is in the New Testament, so it is in the Old Testament. Salvation and deliverance is always only by faith. Faith in the Lord who delivers us. Because as you look at the end of, of chapter, of the chapter, exactly as he said, it, it happens. Everything happens exactly as he said it would. In verse 18, it, it says, it happened as the man of God had said to the king. Because God promises deliverance. He promises deliverance from judgment for all those who trust in him. But on the other side of the coin, For those who refuse to believe, who refuse to trust in the Lord, well, the judgment of God remains on them. It means, therefore, that perhaps even tonight, maybe the the idea of being forgiven for the things that you've done in your life might seem laughable. But it is only by trusting in the Lord that he can forgive you for everything that you've ever done in your life. As it is in the New Testament and so in the Old, we are delivered from our sin by trusting in the promise, by trusting in the the Lord Jesus. And maybe you've never trusted in him personally. Perhaps you might know God in a general kind of way, but you don't know him in an intimate and personal way. And as a result, you're not forgiven. You haven't been forgiven because you don't know him yet. But if that's true of you, won't you come to him? tonight to know that actually by trusting in the Lord Jesus personally will will forgive he will forgive you but maybe perhaps you're in a position where you think well maybe the Lord he likes me but I'm not sure if he loves me I'm not sure if he will tolerate me because I just seem to to fail him well the, the, the call is to trust in him to trust in his word As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Absolutely nothing. No sin that we've committed can separate us as we turn to him. As Richard Sibbs says, there's more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. 
And therefore we can entrust ourselves wholeheartedly to the Lord. Believe in the truth that he will deliver you. No matter what has happened in your life, no matter what you've done, through trusting in him, he will deliver you. But not only that, we see in the story that he works in amazing ways to spread his word. As we look at how the good news of deliverance is spread, we, we see that the Lord really he uses quite unusual ways. In verse 3, we're introduced to four men with leprosy. It feels like a completely change, like a total change in direction in the story. A, a bit of an odd episode. Why are four lepers introduced to us? But as we read on in the story, we, we see why they are involved because during the famine the four lepers say to themselves if we if we go into the city then we'll die if we stay at the city gate we'll die so we should go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender maybe there they won't kill us they sound quite Scottish in their slightly pessimistic understanding of life (laughs) But, but quite frankly they say well we have nothing to lose if we stay there we die if we stay there we die so maybe we'll go over there and we won't die maybe and so the the narrator tells us in in verse 5 at dusk they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans when they reached the edge of the camp no one was there and and why was that well as it says in verse 6 for the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army Why was it that the lepers were able to enter into the camp unhindered to eat, to drink, to take silver and gold and all the clothes that they they wanted? As it says in verse 6, the Lord caused it to happen. The Lord caused it to happen. This is what is known as the providence of God. That the Lord is sovereign, that he is in control of everything in our lives but that also he is providentially at work in every single detail in our lives both the good and the bad for his glory and for our good the question we have to ask is in what particular way is the Lord at work in our lives in this episode the Lord places these these four lepers in the position to preach good news As it says in verse 9. Then they said to each other, What we're doing here is not right. This is a day of good news. And we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. The Lord providentially places these four men with leprosy in such a position that they are able to preach good news to royalty, to the king and his household. And in the providence of God, you have to ask, where has he placed you to do the very same thing? To share good news with others. As the Lord has placed you in your neighborhood, in your community, in your workplace, in your school, in your university, 
He's placed you moment by moment, place by place, to give you an opportunity to share good news. Is your thought should be the same as that of the four lepers who were delivered from death. We've been delivered too. As they said, this is a day of good news. And we are keeping it to ourselves. We can't possibly do that. We can't keep the good news to ourselves because the gospel is good news. It's good news that Jesus died for our sins and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And in the providence of God, he has placed you in a place to share the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And not only that, but the Lord uses people like lepers. Lepers. The unclean. The outcasts. The the ugly. The weak of this world to proclaim good news. Because as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Maybe we think, maybe we think we need someone else to share the gospel in our lives. Maybe we think that we need to know more, or study more, or read another book. But actually, the Lord has placed you where you are To be able to share the hope that you have in Jesus. And that God would get the glory from your life. Because of the place that he's put you. That you would recognize your weakness. That you would pray to God to give you strength. To share the hope that you have. Just as we heard from Yvonne earlier. That the Lord places you in positions to be able to share the good news. Places and positions that you never thought you would end up in. But he places you there to share that good news with others. Because as we we look back on the passage, the Lord judges those who reject his words. And and the king of Israel fails, he fails ultimately to trust the king, to trust God at his word. But the good news is that the true and better king of Israel, Christ, Jesus Christ, he took that punishment. Upon himself, he took the divine punishment. As Jesus, the Word incarnate, delivers us from God's judgment by taking the curse of our sin upon himself on the cross. As it says in Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. And so Christ, he takes that divine judgment that we deserve and the Lord delivers those who trust his word because Christ himself was delivered unto death as the gospel writer Mark says because he was this is Jesus because he was teaching his disciples he said to them the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men they will kill him and after three days he will rise. And through the Lord Jesus, we have deliverance. Deliverance from our sins because he was delivered into the hands of sinful men that we would have life in his name. Because the Lord uses 
really unconventional means. He uses four lepers to share the good news. Four lepers who are ugly and disregarded by the world. People who are not beautiful. He uses them to advance his kingdom. Because Christ wasn't attractive or beautiful either. As the prophet Isaiah, he says, he had no beauty, speaking of the Messiah. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. And it's the Lord Jesus who was pierced for our transgressions, for our sins, that we can come to him. That we, like the lepers, can go and tell people the good news. The good news that that Jesus has died for our sins and that through faith in him we can have new life, new hope in our lives, in a very hopeless world. And so that you and I can go out this week trusting in the word of God, trusting in the power of God by his spirit at work in us. As the Lord gives us these providential moments, providential appointments, To share the good news. The good news that that Jesus lives. And that by believing in him. We can have life in his name. Let's pray together. As we think of those things. Heavenly Father we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come to you. That we can come to you for strength. Lord that you are the one who gives us strength. To be able to, to share the good news in light of all that you've done for us, in delivering us from sin, that we can go forth in the power of your spirit to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Help us, Lord, to be attentive to your spirit, looking for these opportunities that we might be able to share something of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.